Excellent. Welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast. I'm your host, John Cribbs. I'm joined by my uh, Pink Smoke co-founder, Mr. Christopher Funderberg. Hi, everybody. And today we are joined by a special guest. Very excited to speak with Tom Vaughn, who is the screenwriter of the film Winchester, uh, the horror film that just opened up. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Thanks for having me. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. Not as not as good as you guys uh, with the Eagles Super Bowl, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm doing well. We're secret Eagles fans. We keep our cinephilia and our insane Eagles fandom separately. Cats out <laughs> of the bag. Probably, probably wise. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to cut right? off half your market. Yeah, I'm, oh, a, yeah. I'm a Houston boy. So, you, are you are you an Astros fan? I am a huge Astros fan. So yeah. congratulations okay. to you as well. Thank you. We had yeah, uh, absolutely. quite a year. I am an avid, uh, I get MLB live. I watch about a hundred games a year. Um, oh. now, Cause I live in LA, but I'm a, but I'm from Houston. So yeah. um, finally having the Strohs win a series was a very big deal. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm very empathetic for you guys. <laughs> and you guys are looking great with Deshaun Watson. He really yeah. looks like the future in the AFC. Not to turn this into a football sports <laughs> Yeah, <podcast>. suddenly we <laughs> have a football <laughs> sports podcast. Um, uh, yeah, we're excited about the future. Yeah. That's so, great stuff. It's a very exciting weekend for everybody. Uh, yeah. Congratulations on I the feel, movie. I yep. feel bad um, for anyone who had a bad weekend. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they're a bunch of losers. Um, but anyway, um, so I thought we'd talk about a little bit about the subject of the film, which is, the, of course, the Winchester Mystery House, yes. um, which, for anyone who doesn't know, was a uh, house that was purchased by Sarah Winchester, who was the daughter-in-law of Oliver Winchester, not the inventor of the rifle, the Winchester rifle, as many people believe, but uh, rather a capitalist who uh, bought the uh, design of the Henry rifle and then 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 they reconfigured it to create the course of the famous Winchester repeater. Um, yes, you, you know you know the details. I do. I'm a I'm a huge fan of the history yeah, of this place. That's right. one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is the the Winchester house has been sort of a shared obsession between me and oh, for a while. Okay. So. Absolutely. So when she bought this house, it was eighteen. It was like an eighteen room ranch, and then from that point on, for the next what something like forty or forty or fifty years, however much longer she lived. After her husband passed away, yeah, she died in 22, right? She was yes. constantly building and turned it into a sprawling, a rambling castle of uh, 100 towers, something like uh, 160 rooms, uh, and just one of the most bizarrely designed uh, uh, structures I think in the country, yeah, um, even in the world. Even, yeah, even the thing that exists now is just a fraction of what it once was. So let me ask, Tom, how did you first uh, get involved with the history of the house and how did you first hear about it? Uh, I found out about it from the producers. I was brought in, um, it was a writing assignment. So, yeah, so when you have these open writing assignments, the producers had the rights to the house um, and they managed to get uh, the specific rights from the from the homeowners, the people who own it now, and, and which hadn't been done before. Uh, apparently many people had tried and the house just wasn't ready to give the rights away. And, and then somehow this producer, Brett Tomberlin, managed to get the rights and it was a huge coup. Um, and then just the way the business works, they then have to get the financing for, for the movie, financing for the script, that sort of thing. And then you have what is essentially a round robin where 
professional writers come in and they pitch their take on the particular story of, all right, if you hire me, this is, this is the story I would tell. And they had a really hard time finding the right take that they really liked. And I, 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 my understanding is that I was the 32nd writer to come in and pitch Whoa. Uh, a Holy particular God. take on it. Um, and, uh, and then from that I got hired on, but I hadn't heard of the house until, until then. So when they basically gave me a, you know, the introduction, this is what the house is, um, come up with the take. That's when I, I basically spent a week, maybe, maybe a little more just devouring the history and trying to figure out you know, and, what is the story here. And before you started writing, did you go down to San Jose and see what's remaining of the house in person? Or did you just dive in without even being in the physical space? I, I went there in between. After I got the job, after I got hired, then I went up to the house. And then I wrote. Oh, yeah, I guess it's up from Los Angeles, isn't it? Yes. I'm sorry, yes, I'm all turned amazing. around because I, I went, my parents move a lot. And when they moved to uh, Walnut Creek, I was immediately like, how close is it to San Jose? Yeah. So, <laughs> and went down from there. Yeah, so it, it, uh, it you get the job and, and, and then you go up to the house and then you start really devouring even more and more and, and trying to get a feel for it and and. It is, you know, you've been there. It's, it's a strange structure. It's, um, it's, it's named the mystery house for a reason. Yeah, and I definitely, it's, it's a very weird place. You know, I think that one of the things that we can dive into maybe a little later in the conversation is about, you know, how much you personally might believe in hauntings or not in hauntings. I personally uh, don't believe in any of that stuff, but it's still a house. You go into a place that's so weird and so unexpected, the energy of it really is unsettling. You know, <laughs> yeah. stair staircases that lead to nowhere and just yeah. boarded off doors. Yeah, you know, and some of them have very high. logical explanations and some of them don't. Yeah, like the arthritic stairs that are in the yep. movie. When you first yep. see them, you're like, oh my God, it's, it's like a little maze. But and you I think that's what, arthritis. I yeah. think you're right. I think that's what, uh, I think that's what kind of uh, makes it appealing to kind of a ghost story or to a horror story is that even if you, whether you believe or not in, you know, the spirits that she supposedly built this house for, and the whole idea was that she kept expanding the house to make room for all the victims of the Winchester rifle who she believed were haunting her family, um, which is, you know, kind of grown into, you know, uh, more of a myth, you know, these days. Yeah. But, but the basic idea was she did, the, the fact was she did have a seance room right in the middle of the house that was hidden away that only she had access to. And like, if you exited from one door, you couldn't get back into it. And it was just this whole kind of bizarre thing structured around it. The first time I, um, ever heard about the Winchester house was from an issue of Swamp Thing written by Alan Moore, where he <laughs> had a house that was a template of the Winchester house. It was set in England, but it was basically the same idea with the, you know, having the, the recurring 13 everywhere yeah. And, uh, yeah. and having no mirrors, that kind of stuff. He took all the lore. Um, and I should mention too, the huge thanks to uh, Lance Vaughn from Kinder Trauma. It's just a great oh, horror yeah. movie tonight for setting up this interview. Um, and you were mentioning how when you, when you write, when you write a horror film, you're worried that uh, about Lance, Lance will think about it. Because yeah. Lance uh, is your brother, correct? <laughs> yeah, Lance is my older brother, and he's, um, you know, the primary reason I even got into the arts. Um, 
he would uh, he would write and then I would want to write and he'd want to make movies. And so I would want to make movies. And so, you know, for the good first 12 years of my life, I was, you know, just trying to copy what Lance was doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, we, we drifted in different directions. At some point I got into acting and, and he went into more visual arts, but that, um, that foundation was, and that interest, um, was all from, all from Lance. And he introduced me to horror films to the old VHS days. And, um, you know, my natural tendency was more to action. Um, so being introduced to horror through Lance is really what opened my, my eyes to that genre. And I still consider him the best observer of 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 horror around. So, um, you know, you kind of want to please your older brother and and make movies that he likes. And and knowing he's such an expert in the genre can be pretty intimidating. Luckily, he's also very supportive and uh, has never sat me down with a, with a mean critique or anything. So <laughs> I've been very fortunate that way. Yeah, well, it's interesting just to bring it back to your pitch and how you beat out 32 other uh, writers for it. I was struck this time, I just by coincidence happened to watch Jacques Turner's Curse of the Demon two days before I saw Mystery House. And that's another film that's about a psychologist sent uh, to sort of determine if spiritual uh, occult goings on are real or not and sort of deliver his analysis. Yeah. I was wondering how much, what your pitch was and how much it, it was influenced by sort of the history of the genre and the haunted house film and just sort of where you were coming from on it or if your pitch was something completely different from that and that's what the producers responded to. Uh, the thing that they responded most to the pitch was that it was um, much more focused on the Winchester specific things. It was the utilization of that of those myths that had um, existed all these hundred years. Uh, making Sarah Winchester, believe it or not, a character was something they hadn't quite heard. Um, most of the takes were modern day. Um, oh, okay. Um, so it was my pitch of saying this should take place in 1906. This should take place during the San Francisco earthquake. This should take place. Sarah Winchester should be a character. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the main question was Sarah Winchester was, was she crazy or, or did she know something we didn't? So it seemed a fairly natural, uh, you know, take to it to have some, you know, someone go in with that investigation. Um, and the, the Marion character, uh, who was nicknamed Daisy was, uh, a real character, a real person, her niece that stayed with her for an extended period of time. And, um, so we, her, we approached her lived with them as well. Right. Or did her sister die fairly early? Uh, I don't recall. And it's been a while since I've done the bulk of the research, yeah. but, I don't recall her sister staying with her. That's not to say that she didn't. It's just that I don't quite recall that. Yeah. Um, uh, but Daisy did. They, and Daisy lived in San Jose. And, um, uh, and you make some changes. And, and, um, and then, of course, the Spirits came in and they did their own draft. And then things changed quite dramatically from there. They, they stuck with the main template, which was this guy coming in and investigating Sarah Winchester. But then... Um, 
you know, they're, they're the directors now and they got to kind of make it their own. And so they, they made their own changes to it as well. Yeah. And well, so, I have to say this original, this original pitch though is really what I, when I walked into the movie, having only seen a, a short preview for it uh, leading up to it, I was really worried it was going to be that kind of like Busta Rhymes and guys go into this, you know, house in a modern day wearing, you know, uh, cameras doing a live, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> it was going to be. Oh no, it's and the so ghost I of was, Sarah Winchester. <laughs> exactly. So I was relieved that it was a period piece. I can't even remember the last time there was a really good period horror movie. I think like Dead Birds, the Civil War set horror movie is the first one I can think of. But I just well, I love Crimson, that about it. I feel Crimson like, Peak, yeah, yeah I guess. I was, this movie, it's, it feels connected to sort of the revitalization of the, of the haunted house movie in the horror genre. Crimson Peak and Insidious and I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House and even the paranormal activity movies. Did the producers push you to like be part of sort of that, that genre to sort of go? Oh, yeah. Direction? Yeah, we, we were doing it. I had turned in the first draft of the film maybe a week or two before The Conjuring opened. Yeah. And The, the Conjuring opened huge. I'm sure you remember. It was a huge box office hit from yeah. the from the from the get-go so just the way hollywood works you know my next meeting with them is on tuesday or wednesday and the entire meeting is a, how do we make this more like the conjuring yeah so now we've got to <laughs> you know we've got to we of want bigger course. scares we want huge scares and so we we were very aware that um this particular genre could be a big hit and the version we we did um, was probably a little more on the horror side, you know, a little more on the more full out horror side. And then the Spirigs came in and said, you know, we we kind of want to tone it back a little bit. We want to do more of a character piece. We want to do a little more, um, you know, more of a high brow, uh, for lack of a better term. And, uh, and then they did their version and, and you guys have seen it. It's, it's, the scares are a little different. The, um, um, the tension is still there, which I, and I have my own thoughts in the film, you know, um, but, uh, you know, it doesn't really have those extended 60, 90 seconds of full out horror, um, that, uh, you know, like these, some of these newer films have. Yeah. Um, and tends to rely more on tension and jump scares and character and, and acting. And um, um, so it's a slightly different version, their version of than what we had originally gone in. But um, I think on its own terms, it works, you know, I, I think it certainly works a lot better than the critical reaction to the movie, which has been scathing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've only read the review on uh, the Ebert website, which was really positive, actually. So they yeah. have the wrong reviews. <laughs> oh, yeah, also, you just got to understand with the horror genre, the knives are always out. No, the totally the knives are just always out with the horror. Yeah, we genre. didn't preview it for critics, which tends to piss them off pretty much. You know, you're you're basically showing <laughs> your hand and saying we, you know, this is not going to be very good, uh, which I think was a mistake because I think it's a stronger film than that. Uh, and then plus the horror, and then plus, you know, you've got Helen Mirren doing a horror film, and is there a little bit of a backlash to yeah. that? Can, I, can uh, I ask you, how does it feel when you find out, like, one of the greatest actresses of all time is going to be 
playing this character you wrote and developed. Yeah, and she was our first choice the whole time, too. You know, when we wrote it, we were like, God, wouldn't it be great if we got Helen Mirren for Sarah Winchester? What, um, what is that moment? Take us to that moment where you hear, do you get a phone call? Do you find, like, how do you- I got a, I got a phone call, and, it, and it's always in stages, because like, okay, we're going out to Helen Mirren. Okay, her agents like it. All right, her manager likes it. All right, uh, uh, Helen likes it. We're going to try to make a deal. So it's like all of these, and you're, and you know, you've go through it so many times of movies, you know, getting close to getting made and yeah. falling back, and and it's always such a roller coaster, and you tend not to try to get too excited, but you know, when it's the person you always wanted, and you also know if she says yes, it's a go picture too. So it's it's so much of that enthusiasm and excitement and then trying not to get too happy because good things don't happen to you uh, <laughs> and uh so it's 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 quite a thrill and uh i i know for me personally a lot of the a lot of the lines in the marketing campaign uh were bits of dialogue that i wrote so like the marketing campaign, like the commercials on TV were, were particularly fun for me because it was Helen Mirren, you know, saying my lines um, on, a, on a fairly constant basis for that week because CBS did, I thought, did a nice job marketing the movie. That's um, great. So it's, it's ex yeah, it's exciting. It's thrilling. And then just go back to the roller coaster theme of, you know, how are we opening? What are the reviews like? And then one moment it's really down and then the next moment it's really enthusiastic, you know, like you're excited. And then you kind of come down to an even keel after the weekend. Um, but it's such a fun journey. Um, you know, even, even those moments that are, you know, kind of depressed, they're, they're fairly short lived and it's just a matter of, of getting back around to the logical part of it, which is um, how much fun the whole thing is to begin with. And just reminding yourself to be grateful yeah, um, yeah. that you're just even going through this. It's great. And for, I, I know that, you know, that the kind of critical reaction obviously is when you have a, a movie icon like Helen Mirren do a film, a horror film, it's, it's that she's kind of stepping down or whatever, or she's, you know, being lazy. I love it though when a great actress is willing to commit 100% to a film like this. You think of I don't know Deborah Carr in The Innocence or something. Yeah, you know, it's like it brings so much to to it, and I think you know it refines the you know all the things that we know are there. All the really good horror elements are just kind of more appreciated for that for that reason. Yeah, and it's a good and role. A great character too. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean. I think that the idea of making her a character, making Sarah Winchester a character, instead of just a phantom you see here and there, uh, if it was a modern day take, was a great idea. How did you approach kind of developing her as a character? She's such a, she's such a weird, eccentric mystery. Yeah, and it's, and it's, you know, not to get too much into how the sausage is made, but you, um, the character has, you know, took a definite journey where the spirits wanted to make her uh, you know, more of the uh, hero of the piece, or not, not quite the hero, but she's a more assertive, active character in the piece, which I think was a really nice choice of theirs. Uh, in my version, it was uh, Daisy and um, 
it, it, the, the name had changed <laughs> since my draft. Um, but uh, Jason Clark's character and Sarah Snook's character tended to, you know, drive the story. Um, so uh, in, in my mind, it was always about um, not only is she haunted, but why is she haunted? And I was very interested in the amount of guilt she had and the energy that that kind of guilt can bring. Um, I'm trying to try to put exact words to it, but it, in my mind, the reason why she was haunted was just as much because of the guilt that that, that energy of feeling guilty, of feeling uh, that pain attracted the spirits as much as the anger towards the, the Winchester rifle. So, and that's, a, that's to me is an interesting character of someone dealing with everything that you have is because of this rifle. Everything you have around you, everything that you've done to support yourself and, and to give to charity and create this house that, that everything that makes you who you are, you, you have a debt to this rifle. And yet the cost of this, um, is tremendous. Yeah. And how does a character deal with that? Yeah, the, the Do, extremely complicated legacy. Of, yes. Yeah, and especially from that, that era, sort of the, the robber baron era where that she's operating in, where so many people are getting rich through very dubious means. And how do you set your part? It's not just her, it's a whole culture of, you know, sort of the American oligarchy of the era. How do you set yourself apart from it and the guilt of being part of, you know, it's, it's one of the guns that won the West. You yeah. know, your gun is one of the things that's synonymous with genocide, you know, and what yeah. does that mean? You know, yeah. I think that comes across in the film uh, very heavily. And when I see yeah. the, the house uh, in person, the real house, the Winchester house, it's interesting to be in a place that a physical space that's like an expression of psychological torment to have like that psychological torment made concrete does give the house an incredible energy. It does give the yeah. space an incredible energy where you're reminded of the pain of it. Yeah. Just suffering through it, trying to figure out how do I deal with this? How do I get up the next day and be okay with myself? How do I, how do I go to sleep at night? Um, and does guilt compensate for action? You know, like I'm, exactly. I'm not going to do anything about it, but I am going to feel really guilty. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I think setting it in the historical context and having Sarah Winchester as a character is so important uh, because everyone said, you know, every, the, the kind of lore of the house is that you know the Winchester built the country and the then Sarah Winchester built the house, you know, as a response yeah. to that. And uh, it's a very modern sort of thing, too, to think about, you know, to have that kind of guilt weighing on you that, you know, you earned your money through this, you know. Yeah. This is yeah. what makes so many people suffer. Uh, and this script always made a point of having that kind of brief history of, uh, of America by seeing the corpses throughout the story of all the different people who were haunting the house is, you know, essentially a brief history lesson of uh, the American West. Yeah. Let me ask you, with this is obviously 
if you're moving into Second Amendment battle territory with this subject matter and with this sort of what we're talking about, how much temptation is there to contemporize the argument of the material and how much do the Spirit Brothers bring to that? Because this is a film that features a mass shooting. This is a film that features uh, gun-related suicide, which uh, with mental illness and a mentally yeah. ill person having access to firearms, which are obviously very contemporary terms for the meaning of firearms in American society and sort of the guilts of modern American society. Is that something you bring to the film? Is that something you were worried about doing too much of? Is that something the Spirit Brothers bring to it? Sort of what was your relationship to the contemporary arguments about firearms? Uh, well, obviously, I can't speak for the Spirits, but but for me, um, there was it was a challenge because they at the time they there wasn't much of a question about the Second Amendment, you know, like a contemporary like there wasn't a real talk of gun control. It was just accepted yeah. in part of the world, and so if you have too much of that there then you are kind of drifting away from the story and trying to contemporize it. Um, and so what, in my mind, what I really wanted to do was tell the story and let your own contemporary mind overlap to that about your thoughts on this, uh, rather than have the characters too aware of it. Yeah. Um, uh, it, 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 there's a brief conversation um, at the dinner table um, that they, that they have. Um, and that in my mind was as far as I really, I really wanted to go with it. And, and I think the Spirits had some agreement to that though. Um, you know, we're all later on to the story. You can't, you, if her guilt is this thing, you're not going to get away from it. Like you're, you're, you're not going to be able to have an agnostic story uh, yeah. about that particular issue. It's just how much are you going to let people overlap themselves or how much are you going to preach to them? And it, it didn't need it because it's so ingrained in the story uh, that everyone's going to have their thoughts on it. Uh, yeah. I love that about the movie. I love that there is, you feel so much from it that everything is implied and that you get it without it being spelled out for you. Yeah. I, love that, I love that it opens with the hammering, you know, that that's the first sound you hear. Um, and you don't actually come out and say it, but like, you know, the idea of the house supposedly was that construction had to be happening 24 seven, seven, yeah. you know, seven days a week that it could never stop because these ghosts could never be, you know, uh, they could never find peace. They could never find um, uh, salvation without this house being constantly built. That's yeah. just like, just such a creepy thing. Yeah. And, one thing uh, I would also say about the yeah. guns themselves, you know, one thing I did appreciate about the movie too um, is how the Winchesters are really beautiful weapons. And to have them on screen gives a weird power to the appeal of guns. Too, yeah. And speaks to, this is not just a movie that's about... Uh, guns are bad this movie has the weird sort of uh it's almost like possession that weapons take a hold of you just that these are such gorgeous powerful things 
that you understand how people get hypnotized by them, you know, that how people get possessed by the evil of them. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And the, Oh, I was, I was going to say like the sense of the, the sense of power uh, that people in general are so addicted to. Um, and then here's the ultimate power. Um, people get addicted. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the weapons themselves are these really startling physical objects. You know, the way the house is a startling physical object, the guns themselves are, that these are not sort of, uh, you know, like if you see a, a Springfield rifle, they're very plain weapons. And part <laughs> of the appeal of Winchesters was that they're gorgeous, you know? And I think that that's an interesting confluence as well between these films that, you know, uh, are, are between these objects as well in the film. And, yeah. and I was wondering also, you know, I touched on it earlier, the film starts out as an investigation into psychic phenomena and spiritualism and, you know, pretty decidedly, pretty quickly comes down on he's not just having uh, uh, hallucinations, drug-induced hallucinations, but this stuff is real. It plays yeah. it, its hand fairly quickly. Is that something you affect for as a screenwriter for the film, or is that something you actually believe in and somewhere in the back of your head? I'm always interested to talk to screenwriters about stuff like that. As in, do I believe in the supernatural? Yeah, do you believe in the supernatural? Do you believe there's something to the ghosts of this place? Uh, I personally do not in, in the sense of how we tell the story. Um, I do believe in um, an energy that affects things um, that, yeah. that could easily affect your mood or <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, um, uh, you know, that we, we, are in, we are energy essentially. We are energy and that energy can't be destroyed. It can only change forms. And, uh, and so we will shift to something else, but the, but the idea of ghost maintaining our consciousness, uh, our memories or our ideas. I, I don't necessarily agree with that though. I would kind of like to be proven wrong on that. That would be, uh, I, I think in a lot of ways I would feel better about that. <laughs> Uh, if, if consciousness carried over to, to the next life, that sounds delightful for my ego. Oh, really? For uh, me, the only redempting factor of life is that at some point I'll get to stop existing. Like eternal consciousness just seems like such a punishment to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it depends on what, like, I, I, I am hoping and assuming my anxiety does not continue on because that does sound like hell. Oh, doesn't it? To be a ghost yeah. and to have yeah. to hold oh, something? To be a oh, ghost God, is hard. No oh, what a, what a curse. What <laughs> a curse. Uh, not uh, even, that would be more punishment for me than Sarah Winchester if I have to hang around her house and feel terrible uh, there. Oh, God, yeah. I just, uh, just uh, to me, being a ghost is just living in internal social embarrassment. It's <laughs> just like, oh. Uh, I just oh, it just sounds terrible. Yeah. Uh, but the idea of heaven, where you're like you don't have to worry about any of that stuff, and everything is great, and you get to have you get to feel good about yourself, that sounds pretty good to me. Well, in the movie too, there's such a specific like you know uh, intention to show uh, Native Americans to show a slave at one point. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's not just like the injustices brought on by the Winchester rifle, but sort of the whole building of the country kind of yeah. becomes this spiritual vengeance that kind of preys upon this character yeah. in this house. Uh, this country, like most countries, is built on a lot of death. Um, and it's, you know, for, for us, that Winchester rifle made it happen a lot faster. Yeah. I mean, certainly firearms are tied to subjugation in the American West and in Africa. That's yeah. sort of the technological advancement of firearms is unquestionably a part of the story with it. Now, let me, uh, I'm sorry, John, did you have another question? I feel like I, just oh, I was just going to say that, yeah, that was, you know, that's sort of what makes the story so rich and why the Winchester house itself is such an amazing subject because it opens all these ideas about, you know, how one feels, you know, profiting from other people's misery. Uh, when you think about your typical haunted house uh, movies and even especially the modern ones, it's, you know, the idea of this, this brand new thing that's an intrusion into this house, whether it's like the Annabelle doll or whatever, it's something that comes into these people's lives. And Winchester kind of takes the opposite idea. It's like, this is something that's part, been part of her life forever. Yeah. And she can't get away from it and she can't move away from it. All she can do is try to change it and, and shape it in a way that she's comfortable with. Yeah. Um, How do you deal with it? Yeah. Strong. Yeah, absolutely. How do you find peace with it? Do you think there's an answer for that? Do you think there's an an a way for her to find peace? Uh, probably not. Probably not. I think it's just going to be a balance. And at any given moment, that balance will be shifted and changed. Um, but I, I, I don't think Sarah Winchester, certainly the character that you know we've created in this film, I don't think she ever goes to sleep feeling great. You know, that all is fine. Just yeah. looking great. Helen Mirren, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's, 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 you know, pushing that rock up the hill. It's just non, non-stop. And then at some point, she's going to die. And maybe then she'll find peace. Yeah. But I mean, I would have to think she'd be frightened. Am I going to haunt this place? Aha, uh -huh. absolutely. She'll go, she'll go haunt whoever makes their money off of roller skates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of the, the parents of all the kids with broken ankles. <laughs> that was that was a neat little thing I didn't know about. Is that dude, is that historically true? Did Winchester do yeah. roller skates? Yeah, they, That's so they neat. Try, they tried to move out of rifles and, and do all kinds of household appliances and roller skates and kitchen utensils and yeah. It um they did not try to restrict themselves solely to the, to, the, to the rifles after a while. Well, Tom, I think we're gonna bring, bring this to a close now. I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on here and having, having a talk with us uh, about your film and, uh, and about- Thanks everything. for having me. Congratulations on the opening. I, I hope that uh, you continue writing in the horror genre. I, I really thank you. like what you bring to it and like your ideas. What is your next project, uh, Tom? Uh, right now it looks like hopefully we'll be doing the Queen Mary ghost story. I'm not familiar with that. What is the Queen Mary ghost story? Uh, the Queen Mary, uh, which is docked at, uh, Long Island or not Long Island, Long Beach, sorry, <laughs> two different coasts, uh, <laughs> Long Beach, California, uh, is like the Winchester house, uh, considered a real hot spot for spiritual activity. 
Um, so um, Gary Doberman and I, Gary did It and uh, Annabelle 1 and 2. Um, he did an earlier draft and then, and then I came on um, and uh, hopefully be in production this year. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's another true life place that is haunted and uh, another movie for it. Excellent. Very excited. We'll keep an eye out for that. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'll come on after that one, hopefully. Oh, please do. Anytime you want to come back and, and talk to us, we'd, we'd love to have you. That'd be great. Everyone see Winchester. It's out in theaters now. Great, been great talking with Tom. And uh, we will uh, check in with you on the next episode. Everyone, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for listening to the show. And thank you again, Tom. Thank you. Thank you.